This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning. Welcome to RSCC. It's so good to have you guys with us today. Would you just put your hands together for the worship team? They're awesome today. <clears throat> I am excited about the conversation we're about to have. If this is your first time with us, I'm going to set this over here. If it's your first time with us, we're in the middle of a series called We Need to Talk About It, where we're talking about issues and, and topics that we need to talk about in, in our culture. So if you missed any weeks, you can check it out on YouTube or our RSEC family app um, and, and everything's there. I want to I want to kind of give a discourage for parents. Next week, we'll be talking about some sensitive topics, sensitive issues. You may not have talked with your parents about your kids with yet. Um, you may not want me to be the first one to do that. We talk about some gender and sexuality and homosexuality and some big topics. So I want to give everybody a, a fair warning to that. But today, we're going to have a conversation, and it's kind of a sermon that I wrote this week and was praying over it. It's a little bit different than what we normally talk about, and it's going to be different ways. So I'm going to pray real quick, and I'm going to get right to it. So let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for the people in this room and the stories in this room and what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in this community, what you're doing in RSCC, what you're doing in the world, Father. And we echo Adam's prayer for Ukraine and all those involved, and we pray that they're safe and that the nation leaders bow to you and look to you, God, and we remember at the end of the day, no matter what, as you're in charge. First of all, I pray today as we have this conversation that you open our hearts to what you have to say and we allow your spirit to move in us and guide us and direct us in, in this time that we have together. To your name we pray, amen. So I want to take you back to my hometown, Hersher, Illinois. <clears throat> and um, Hersher is weird. We have, it's a really small town, and I say it's small. It makes rising sun look fun, right? It, it makes rising sun look big. And, and, but we have a huge high school. When I was in high school, we had over 1,000 kids. So it, it's a big, this weird dynamic. We have a bunch of, of schools coming into it. But in, in Hersher, Illinois, when I grew up, um, uh, like you, you know, I, I didn't go to church for a long time. It wasn't until later in my life that I went to church. But eventually, when I was a teenager, I would be invited to go to church and the, the, by the coach and the basketball team. And I said yes for two reasons. One, free food and cute girls, right? And what was better in junior high than free food and cute girls? The answer was nothing, right? So I, I went and I went to this youth group and I really didn't, I didn't really believe, you know, the Jesus stuff. I didn't really believe the lessons, I didn't really understand. I thought a lot of what the church did was weird, but I kept showing up because the people were nice. I kept going back and back and back. And my church, uh, HCC, growing up, it, it, was, it started with about 40-something people on my first Sunday when I was in junior high. And when I, by the time I graduated high school, we were over 350, 400 people. So I was part of this church in a small town that grew very quickly, very fast. And, and uh, I, I kept going to this church over and over again because the people... And the people were so nice, and they, and they treated me certain ways, and things happened, and the youth group was fun. But I really never was into to hearing what was preached. I never really was open to, to the Bible. I was really never open to the lessons. And, and no one ever made me go to church. No one ever forced me to wake up on Sunday morning. Matter of fact, there would be times in my own life where I would, no one would wake me up, and I would ride my dyno, GT dyno bike to church, right? So nothing was ever forced on me. So I didn't, I went there, but I wasn't really open to anything. 
But my church had open gym on, on Sunday night for men, men league. If you're 16 up, you could go. And at 16 up, I, I started going and I, and I loved it, right? And a lot of the guys who played basketball were, were dads and, and I looked up to them. I, I respected their lives. And there's a guy named Jeff. I don't remember Jeff's name, I, last name. I, I don't have any contact with Jeff at all, but Jeff was pretty involved in the church. And, and Jeff, one day after basketball, he handed me this book called, it's the Bible. Right? It's the student Bible, and you look at the, this kind of like screams 90s, right? So I'm assuming it was his, and, and he gave it to me. And, you know, I, it's a physical Bible. I don't carry a physical Bible up here with me a lot um, because I have dyslexia. And if I was to read from these little words, it looks like ants moving on the page, and we would never get anywhere. But he gave me a Bible, and he's like, hey, dude, I want you to read this. Never in my life had I read it before. But I thought, okay, I like Jeff. Jeff's pretty cool. And if Jeff wants me to read this, there must be something in it. So I started going. It's like, where do I start? Well, I was like, well, the Old Testament back then, I was like, that's all the boring stuff. So let's get past that and, and let's go to the New Testament. So I started reading a little bit of the Gospels. And, and I went to like the famous Bible verse that you see on, on sports, John three sixteen. So I started reading it for the first time. And this was the first Bible that, not I was ever given, but the first Bible that I ever started reading. It's the student Bible, right? And, and it has little footnotes, and it has uh, highlighted stuff in this. And I started reading the Gospels. And I started reading about Jesus. You know, you got the birth account, and you're like, oh, that's not just a Christmas story? That really happened, right? Okay, that's cool. And, and then I started reading about how he, he picked his disciples. And I was like, man, Peter and John and, and all the other people he picked, like, okay, these are a bunch of like nobodies. I read about how he cast out demons and, and that, he, that he walked on water. And I read John 3.16, for God so loved the world, you know. And I was like, all of this. And, and I started like, okay, this is different than I thought. And then he started like uh, rejecting some of the religious people and how they lived. I'm like, that's unique because I kind of feel like that about religious people at times. And, and think, like sometimes the things they do is weird. And Jesus like, yeah, same here. And, and then I started reading about how Jesus started to say, hey, I came to die for the world. That I've come here on purpose. That, that I I come here to save, I've come here to save the world. Then I read about one of his best friends, one of his inner men, Judas, betraying him. And the story that really got to me is that Jesus rode in, in, into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people were cheering, his, cheering him on. And a couple days later, those same people were the people that were yelling, crucify, crucify, crucify him. And I read about how Jesus went to the cross, and that, that he was crucified, and that he right, rose from the dead. I read the Great Commission, and for 15 years, I've been, 15 years I've been going back to this book over and over and over again, and maybe you've been doing it much longer than me, but I've found something from a book, the Bible, it's called the Holy Bible, and holy means set apart, God's word, from a man named Jeff who opened my eyes for the first time, that the Bible is a book like no other book, and a book that changes everything. So what I want to do today is what we need to talk about is we need to talk about this book, the book of God, the word of God. And so I thought, how do I do that, right? I got 35 minutes to talk about this. I got 35 minutes not to bore people. I got 35 minutes to make sure people pay attention. So how do I do that? What is the best use of time to talk about this? So I went and looked. What do churches talk about when they talk about it? And they talk about, well, why can you trust the Bible? So I could have gone, and we could have done things like this, and I could have gone over the three point that historians use to prove that something is historically accurate. Not just the Bible, but there's three, there's three point process or equation that historians use to prove something is accurate. One is eyewitness accounts. So I, I could have gone through the, old, the New Testament and talked about how many people, you know, 
eyewitnessed what Jesus after the resurrection or the eyewitness accounts that wrote some of the books. Right? So I could have talked about that. Or I could have talked about where, where, where the Bible's recorded and copied with extreme care. And I could have talked about how the Jewish, Jewish, you know, the Jewish people back then with the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, were so meticulous that they would, they would you know, kind of translate so meticulously that they wouldn't just go you know, to like, hey, word by word. They would literally go letter by letter. And it said when they're done, all the, scholar, all the Jewish people would get together and they would go to the middle of the Bible. And if it didn't line up, they would do it again, right? So it was, we could have talked about how meticulously it was recorded with, with, with care and it copied with care. We could have talked about that. Could have talked about the archaeological confirmation and how scientists and archaeologists have, have confirmed many things that are found in, in Scripture. We could have done that. Uh, I could have talked about how there is over 5,000 original manuscripts, which blows away many other historical documents that we, we consider historical and we trust. I could have talked about how Psalm 22, to get this, Psalm 22 written by King David. Uh, Psalm 22, David is pro- speaking prophecy about how Jesus would be killed. And he starts talking about crucifixion. The weird thing was crucifixion wasn't even invented until 600 years after that that psalm was written. I could have talked about the evidence of a global flood. I could have talked about the evidence of a a creator. And I could have done that and and your eyes would have glossed over like they are a little bit right now. So here's what I want to do. I don't want to talk about that. I'm not an expert in that, but I do want to give you a source to go to that will help you. So I, I want to make it easy for you. If you want to find out more about this, what we kind of just went over real quick and the prophecy that pointed Jesus, how the Bible prophesied that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, how they prophesied he would be born in a certain place and how that the closest prophecy to Jesus' birth happened 400 years. So it's not like they just like kind of wrote it as it came along, but these prophecies pointed to Jesus. So if you want to find out more about this, there's a book and it's called this, and there's going to be a picture in just a second. It's called, Why Trust the Bible? And if you want a copy of that book, see me after church, and I will buy you a copy of this book, and I will bring it to church for you, right? And that will cover a lot of that information. But here's what I want to do today. I want to go a different direction. Because I started thinking about this, and I started researching, and I started kind of exploring what other churches were talking about. And I thought, what would I want someone to talk about when they talked about the Bible? Would I want them to talk about all that? Well, that is awesome. And I believe that to be true. But what would I want to talk about? What would I want to talk about? So I started thinking about what do churches talk about? And they talk about this. But then I started thinking about the first time you get your Bible. For many of us, if you grew up in church, at some point in your life when you're preteen or teenager, someone walks up to you and they, they hand you a Bible like this. They say, this is God's word. It is all true. Read it. It'll change your life. Anybody ever have that happen to them, right? They just hand the Bible, and some adult hands it to you. You're like, hey, I trust this adult, so I'm going to trust this Bible. All right? So that's many people's situation. They're handed this. They they never talk about what to do with it. They never talk about how to read it, but they're just like, it's all true. Read it. Okay? And then if you're not, if you didn't grow up like that, maybe you have a preacher talk to you at church like me, and you say, hey, listen, to grow your faith, you need to read your Bible. And here's what I found out. No one talks about the how... And no one talks about the why. Here's this book. It's God's words. It's extremely important to you. And no one tells me how to read it. No one tells me why to read it. I find that a little bizarre. I find that a little bizarre that that's what we do to people in this world. So, hey, this is God's word, which I want to I be, I be, get this out of the way. I'm a sold-out Christian, right? 
I believe that this is God's word, inspired by God. I do not believe that there are 40 different authors. I believe there's one author. Man may have held the pen, but God inspired this, right? I believe in the flood. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe in David and Goliath. I believe the walls of Jericho came falling down. I believe that Jonah literally was swallowed by a whale. I believe all of that. And the reason I believe that is because of the resurrection of Jesus. And my faith sits on the resurrection of Jesus. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, all of this is true. I believe that. But I also believe that we don't talk about this enough and tell people what to do with it and, what, and, and how to read it. Why do I read it? Why, why do I read it? Why is it important? More importantly, how do I read it? Because there are like 66 books in this thing, right? And, and some of them, they got a long list of names. Some of them talk about things I've never heard of in my life. Some of, these th- some of the things I read, they're miracles. What do I do with it? Right? So I want to talk about that today. And the reason I want to talk about it is if, you, if you've been kind of paying attention to pop culture, there's a word going around called deconstruction, and simple, I'm simplifying deconstruction, so it, it, deconstructionists would be mad watching this, but I'm going to simplify it. Deconstruction is that people are starting to, to pick and pull things from Christianity. More importantly, they're starting to take books, the Bible, and they're starting to take things in this and what God says, and they're starting to pull it, take it, and use what they want and throw away what they don't want. So we need to talk about it. And the reason I want to talk about it is because I believe that spending time in God's word, the Bible, will make the greatest difference in your faith. That this will, spending time in this, reading this, getting to know God through this, getting to know Jesus through this, will make the greatest difference in your faith. And it could transform your life more than any other spiritual discipline. I believe that to be true. And, and throughout scripture, you find verses like this in Romans. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul says faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. But back then in culture, they would hear the word of God. Many people couldn't read, so they'd have someone standing reading to them, or Paul would, would speak to them, or someone would read the letter that Paul wrote, and, and they would hear it. But us, we, we, we can read. Most of us can read, right? And, and even if you're like me, you struggle with dyslexia, you can read. You can read, right? So faith comes by being in the word, hearing the God word, reading the word of God, right? Being in it and allowing God to move. But while I was researching this week, there's a psalm that, that David wrote, and, and it's the longest psalm in all of Scripture, Psalm 119. And, and in the middle of this psalm, and it's about 170 plus verses, verses, I believe, he writes this, talking about the Word of God. And it's kind of our verse of the day. Oh, how I love your law. I meditated all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. Oh, how I love your law. I meditated on all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemy. There's two things in here that I want to point at that I want for each of us. I want from us as a church, as a congregation. One, I want us to love the word of God. I want us to love it. I want us to love it. He says, he says, oh, how I love your law, right? When was the last time you just opened this? And you're like, man, I just love it. I love it. I love what it does to me. I love what it says. I love what God does through this word. I love what God says to me. I love what Jesus says to me. When was the last time I said, I, I love it? And I want you to love it with such a, a way like you love a family member. Let me, let me kind of explain. Maybe your family was like mine, but one of the most important things to me in relationships and friendships, working places, working environments, being in relationship with someone is the word loyalty. Loyalty. So maybe your family is like mine. Now, my family, we will go back and forth. We will talk trash to each other. We'll talk junk to each other, right? We will say mean things to each other that no one else can say, right? But if you echo the same thing I said about my family to me, about my family, those are fighting words, 
right? You can't talk. That's my mama you're talking about, right? That's my grandma. That's my brother. I can say that, but you can't say that, right? And if you say those things, we may not like each other, our family, but we will stand up for each other no matter what, right? Anybody's family like that? Like, no matter what, you say something about my mama, it's going down. Even if I believe it to be true, it's going down, right? You say something about Whitney, something's going down, right? I can say something, but if you, no, no, no. Because that's loyalty. I love them, and I'm going to protect them. As Christians in 2022, we got to love this word. We got to stand up for this word. We can't let people bulldoze us. We can't say, well, it's out of date. We, we got to love it. We got, and when people come after it, we got to love it and we got to defend it. I'm not saying we do it in an unchrist like way, but we got to love it and we got to defend it. And, and I want you to, to read it and I want you to be in it. And I want you to love it. And I want you to love it and love how God works in your life when you're in the Word. I want you to love it. And I want you to love how God works in your life when you're in it. I want you to see that it's God's letter to us. It's God's pointing out to how he loves us through this letter. And I want you to love it. I want you to learn to love how God works in your life when you're in the Word. But I don't want you to just love it. More importantly than love it, I want you to learn it. David says in the psalm, he says, I, I meditate on your word day and night. He's like, I, I spend time in it. I, I read it. I think about it. It's on my mind when I'm living out my day, when I'm riding on my horse, when I'm in my castle, when I'm talking to my men, when I'm talking to the girls I'm with. I meditate on it. I, I let it sit in my life. So I, I want us to learn it. I want us to read it. I want us to listen to it. I want us to learn it. I want us to live it out. Because if you love it and you learn it, but you don't live it out, it doesn't really matter. And I want you to do this because as you're doing it, something happens. It changes you. You start to see it talks about how you should live in your marriages. It talks about how you should treat people. It talks about how you should live out this life, how you should view what you do. It, it talks about how, you should it, how your faith will change. It, it talks to you about sin. It talks to you about who Jesus is. It, it changes things in our lives. So I want us to learn it. And I love what Paul writes to a young man named Timothy, and he says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love this little phrase right here, God breathed, God breathed. And what that Paul is saying is that the, this, the, these, these aren't just words on a piece of paper by, here by accident. Yes, we have a translation that have been, uh, have been translated so carefully, right? And, and, and it's translated, but these aren't just human words. These are God's words. They're God's breathed. The words in here are divine and inspired by God. And think about when you talk or when you complain or when you yell or, or you're, you're talking with someone or whatever you're doing, right? Your words are you breathed. They, they, they show us the inner self of who you are. What Paul is saying is these are God breathed and these words show us who God is and point us to who God's character and, and they show how he tr loves us and it shows who he is and his divine character. And it kind of goes back to Genesis 2-7 if we want to fully understand this. And this is what it says. Then the Lord came, then the Lord God formed a man. He made him out of the dust of the ground. God what? Breathed the breath of life into him. And the man became a living person. 
See, what this is saying is that when God breathed into Adam, when God breathed into man, he gave him life. Today, these words are God breathed. It is how God breathes his breath into us today. It's how God changes us today. It's God continually to work in our lives. And when we read it, when we memorize it and meditate on it, we breathe God's breath of life into us. It's important, right? It's changing us. It's God's breath. And then Paul says, it's use all scripture, and that's a key phrase, all scripture. So you can't pick and plug, right? All scripture is God breathed. And all scripture is useful. He says, useful. Now, it may not directly apply to us. It may not directly um, kind of speak to our context, but it's useful. There's something we can learn from it. And then he says, it's good for four things, four things. And here's, here's what he says. For teaching. He's like, the Bible will teach you. God's word will teach you. It will teach you how to live and what to do and the way to live out your faith. It will teach you. And on this process of teaching you to be a good teacher, it will rebuke you. It will point out things in your life that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing. It will call a sin a sin. It will say there are certain things you should be doing and not doing. And when you're doing the things you shouldn't be doing and you're reading that word, it will rebuke you. But here's what's so awesome. It doesn't just rebuke you. It corrects you. God loves us enough. He's like, I'm going to rebuke you and point some things out, but I'm also going to correct you. I'm going to set you on the right path. You are doing this, but now God's word says do this. And at the end of it, it says it's going to train us in righteousness. And when you teach and you rebuke and you correct. It trains us in righteousness. It trains us in the way to live the way God wants us to, to live that righteous life, to live that set apart life that God has called us to, to live the life, to live out what we read in the word of God. Teaching, rebuking, correction, correction, and training in righteousness. Now here's what happens. Someone that is deconstructing or someone that may not agree with God's word, here's what they're going to do. They're going to read that list because this happens. They're going to read this list and they're going to say, that sounds like a bunch of rules, right? And that's all your Bible is. That's all your book is. A bunch of rules. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. Rules, 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 rules. And I always paint this thing now. I, I tell them, well, let me, let me hear you out because you're missing that if you think it's what it is. Hear me out. Every off season uh, in high school, I played basketball and football, right? And we had off-season practice. Basketball in the morning, football in the afternoon. And here's what would happen every summer. They would start by teaching us. What would they teach us? Teach us a new formation, teach us new plays, teach us a new technique. When we didn't get it right, what would they do? They would rebuke us. And a lot of times that rebuking was by yelling, right? Or, or if we were being lazy, we were doing things we weren't supposed to do, what they would do? They would rebuke us. And after they rebuked us, they don't just say, hey, you're doing it wrong, or don't do that then they would correct us, okay? And they would correct us. And they would say, this is why we do, this is how we play, this is the culture we create. And then they would train us, train us in the right way. Why were they training us? Why were they teaching, rebuking, correcting us and training us? Was it because they were a bunch of jerks? Some of them, yes, but no, not all of them, right? They were teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us and training us because they want us to be the best player we could be, but more importantly, the best team we could be. The word of God teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness so we can be the best follower of Christ we can be. We can have the best possible life that God has planned for us. And when we see it as just a bunch of rules, we miss what's actually going on. Because the Bible, there's a bigger picture. And I kind of say it this way, that the Bible is the means by which I can know God. Right? The word of God is like, hey, this is how I get to know God. I've never once had God split the sky and talk directly to me. Maybe you have. I haven't. I've never heard God yell at me in a loud voice in my office when I'm writing something. 
I've never, t- I, I've never had him directly whisper to me, preach this. But I have had him talk to me, convict me, teach me, and rebuke me through this. And by reading this, I got to know God. I learned how to live a life that is pleasing to him. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, but we know how to live a life that's pleasing to him. A life that glorifies him. A life of obedience and a life of blessing. What I mean by blessing is not that you'll, not health and wealth, but by reading this, you'll live the life that God has truly called you to because you're knowing God and you're in a relationship with God. God is speaking to you. There's another verse in Hebrews that is so common when we talk about the, the, the word of God. It says, for the word of God is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It says it's alive. It's not like a magazine that was written in 2021 that is dead, right? It's alive. It's, these words are alive. They do something. They're God-breathed, and they're still breathing. They're still moving. It's active. God is still working in the world today. God still works through us when we read this, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. I really love that analogy because I love knives, and, and it's this analogy uh, or this picture of a sword, but not just one, uh, just a double-edged sword, uh, a sharp sword, and it cuts through human flesh, it cuts through the bones, it cuts through marrow, not, not physically, right? But he's saying it cuts to the soul of who we are, and it points out anything in us that's getting in the way of who God's creating us to be. It's like you can hide from people, you can hide your thoughts from other people, you can hide your words from other people, but you can't hide what's in here from God. It cuts right to the soul, and it points out, and it says it judges, and it rebukes, and it corrects, and it points out exactly what's going on in here. That's what the word of God does. And that's why it's so important. And we need to love and learn the Bible because it has the power to change us, shape us, mature us, draw closer to God. We gotta learn to love it. We gotta learn it. We gotta learn what it says. We gotta know it. And here's why. So I, I struggled with, with, what do we talk about Why? Because, you know, we, we do want to grow in our, our, our faith and we want to be in it and we want, we want to study it and we want it to change us and we want it to shape us. And yeah, we want us to draw it closer to God. But why is it so important? Why are we talking about it now? Why, why, why is Nathan like, hey, we've we got to talk about it? And I think it goes back to this. Last week we talked about this idea we live in a relativistic culture. And relativism, relativism is this idea that if it's true to you, it's true. And whatever truth is, is relative. So if it works for you, it's got to be true. If it works for you, it's got to be true. So you think something's true and I think something's true. Well, not, neither one of us are wrong, but neither one of us are actually correct because it works for you and doesn't work for me. And in Scripture, we're warned. Paul says that there will be a day. Listen to this. He says there will be a day. For a time is coming. Just, just when I read this, does this sound like what we're going through? For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Doesn't Paul is saying there'll be a time when people start to be relativistic culture when they think one thing is true and one, something else isn't true and someone talks about what they don't want to hear, they'll go find someone who believes what they believe to be true. It's like there'll be time when people no longer listen to sound teaching. They'll follow their own desires and look for the teachers who basically tell them what they want to hear. Then you get a culture 
who starts changing what sexuality is, starts changing in the idea of what sex was designed for, what marriage looks like. You get a culture that tells you when life, they start to tell you their opinion when life starts. You get a culture that, where abortions become rising higher and higher and higher. You get a culture that, change, that follows their own desires and does what they want. A culture that starts to twist the truth. And when you live in that culture and you don't know what truth is, all of a sudden, you may not understand what's going on in here. All of a sudden, you may be swayed to believe things that are anti what this says. All of a sudden, you may be swayed to believe things that God never said or God never intended. See, the Bible tells us about truth. Here's what's so cool. The Bible doesn't just tell us that truth is a philosophy or a mindset. The Bible says that truth is a who. Here's what it says, John 14. Jesus told him, I am the way, the, the what? The truth and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth. Jesus says truth isn't a philosophy. It's not a mindset. It's not relative. I am truth. And you want to be, you want to be set free? You want to know truth? I am the truth. Not what society says, not, not what other people say, not what, what science says. I am the truth. I am the truth. I am the way. I will set you free. You will know the truth. You will know me, and it will set you free. He goes, but there's one also who's anti-truth. See, Jesus came preaching truth of sin, the truth about life, the truth about sexuality. Jesus came preaching all that. But earlier in the Gospel of John, he says, there's one who doesn't do that. He talks about the great deceiver in John 8. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth. And because there's no truth in him, when he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus says there is Satan in this world. And Peter says he's like a lying, a prowling lion, looking for someone to devour. And Jesus says he has been this way from the beginning. And he's always hated the truth. And he's coming and he's going to spit out lies. And he's going to twist truth. And he's going to tell you things look a certain way. And he's going to get in culture. Jesus says, but he's always been a liar. He's always twisted the truth. And when he speaks, it's consistent with his character. For he's a, a liar and the father of lies. Jesus says, I came to testify the truth. Satan came as the father of lies. And when you're not in the word of God and all of a sudden you don't learn it and you don't love it, you don't know what is what. You don't know what is true. And you don't know what is a lie. And here's where Satan is so cunning. He's like, I'm not going to flat out lie to you. I'm not going to flat out lie to you because you might catch it. You're smarter than that. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you something a little twisted. Just twist it a little bit. I'm going to make it popular. I'm going, to, I'm, going to make everybody, I'm going to tempt everybody in the world with it. And all of a sudden, everybody around you is going to be doing something. And you know it's wrong, but all of a sudden you start to think because everybody's doing it, it must not be that bad. Or that's what culture believes, it must not be that bad. Love is love and who you marry shouldn't matter and all this. Like, yeah, I'm going to give you a little bit of, uh, of truth, but I'm going to twist it. I'm going to twist it. I'm not going to flat out lie to you. I'm just going to twist it. All of a sudden, you're not going to know what's going on. He's going to give you something that looks true, feels true, something a little twisted. It's kind of like this. Uh, there's someone in this church a couple of years ago when I was still coaching basketball. He came to practice, and he was wearing this pair of LeBron James shoes, but they were fake, right? They, they looked real. And he's like, hey, dude, listen, you need to go to this website. And he gave me this website. And he's like, you need to buy these. 
I was like, dude, are you sure? Like, it's not like some scam. They're not going to steal my information. He's like, no, they're, they're not going to. So for some reason, I believe this guy, right? I was like, I had no reason not to. So I went to the website and it looked legit. It felt legit. The shoes look, kind of looked the same. Like, I could tell a little bit that the Nike swoosh was a little lower and, and it looked a little cheaper. So I was like, no, you know what, though? No one's going to be able to tell. And I, I'm going to save a bunch of money. I'm not going to spend $250 on a pair of shoes. I'll spend 50 right? So I put the order in. I didn't tell Whitney. I put the order in. And about three minutes later, I get a call from the bank. And they're like, hey, listen, are you trying to buy like thousands of dollars of stuff from a pharmacy in China? I was like, oh, no, I'm actually not. I'm trying to buy some knockoff LeBrons, right? right? And, and, and the website looked true, felt true, a little twisted. And you're like, how, how could you fall for something so stupid? Well, Satan's looking at us like, how could you fall for something so dumb? I'll give you something that looks real, feels true, feels right, but it's a little twisted. And, and why that matters is you can't know truth unless you're in this. You can't learn, learn it unless you're in this. You can't love it unless you're in it. And Jesus says the truth will set you free. That truth can't set you free unless you learn it, love it and you learn it. And the best way to learn it and love it is to be in it. Now, here's where this gets cool. No one can do this but you. No one can do this but you. No one can physically make you read this. Now, one of the pet peeves in ministry that I hear from, my, I experience myself and I experience with friends who have been in ministry for 20, 30 years, is when people come and say, I didn't get enough from the service. That sermon didn't feed me. I'm not getting enough there. And they're deflecting on why they're not growing. And I want to be as gentle and nice as I can. But the reason we don't grow because we don't spend enough time talking to God. We don't spend enough time reading God's word. And the lack of our faith growth is never on someone else's shoulders but our own. So we've got to ask ourselves when we're talking about this today. You're like, some of you are like, well, I believe all this to be true. This sermon isn't for me. So let me ask you this question. Is your faith growing? Is your faith growing? Or have you been in the same spot in your face for the last 10 years? And you know you're supposed to serve, but you don't want to serve. You know you're supposed to, to do things, but you don't want to do it. You know, for some of you, you're like, hey, I need to take the next step, but you don't want to do it. And I just wonder how many of us are in danger of going to church for five more years, not getting five years deeper. Going to church for five more years, but not getting five years closer to Jesus. Going to church for five more years, not five years closer to understanding this. And listen, you're going you're gonna to never fully understand everything in this. You're going to learn something new about this every single time you open it. But I wonder how many of us are just stalling out because we're not learning it and we're not loving it. So I want to give you a number. There's a number, 168. 168. Anybody know what that number is? It's how many hours you get in a week. 168 hours. They say, so uh, bear with me, this may not apply to everybody. A third of that is spent sleeping. Yeah, right? A third of that is spent sleeping. Another third of that is spent at work. Okay, so then you're left with like 50-something hours of rough math. And then how many of you are on social media? If you're on social media, they say the average person in America spends 17 hours a week on social media. Okay, so now you've got 30-something hours left. And then now that's not including grocery shopping, taking your kids to sports, watching TV, Netflixing, right? News, working out, doing whatever else you do. So you get all the end of the week, and by the end of the week, you got one hour left. One hour left. One measly little hour. You're like, what am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with my one hour left? And if you're a Christian, you're like, you know what I'm going to do with it? I better do this because I haven't done it all week. I'm going to give to God. 
He started at 168. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to give this one hour to God. And some of you may say, well, I give more than that. But most people, it was, studies will show, do not. It says one in four Christians actually read their Bible on a daily basis. So it's not outlandish to believe that most Christians give maybe God one hour a week. And if you invest an hour a week in anything, you're probably not going to be very good at it, are you? You're probably not going to grow significantly. If you only work out one hour a week, I'm going to tell you, not enough, right? If you're, only hanging, if you're only talking to your spouse one hour a week, they may th- be like, thank, thank, you, thank you, Lord, right? But you're never going to grow your marriage. If you're only spending one hour a week studying, trust me, from experience, you're not going to get good grades, right? And if we only give one hour a week to God, how are we going to grow? How are you going to learn to love it? How are you going to learn it? How are you going to love it? How are you going to know what truth is? You're not. If we only give God what's le- left over, Will we ever grow? No, we won't. And the best way to grow, the best way to grow your faith, the best way to grow, know who God is, the best way to grow in your faith and allow God to work in your life is to be in the word and to love it and to learn it. So that leads us back to the question we started with the beginning. That's where most ministers would end the sermon and say, okay, go home and read your Bible. But that's not where we're gonna end today. So we're going to first start with what or how. Okay, how do I start or, or where do I start? And some of you are already reading your Bible, and that's great. But I'm going to tell you, there's many people in our church, especially in other services who are new, who are brand new to Christianity and this one, have never started doing this yet. So listen, so where do I start? So I wanted to make it really easy. If you go to your RSCC Family app, I, I know some of you don't have the app, but I, I encourage you to get the app. If you go to RSCC Family app, there's a Bible tab. And on that Bible tab, you click that Bible tab at the very bottom, and then it says Bible Reading Plan. And I have a five-day reading plan on there. It tells you how to start reading the Bible and how to read the Bible functionally, right? Others of you, you're not going to do that. So you're like, you're going to have your physical Bible. Nothing wrong with that, right? Some of us, I think we need to bring the physical Bible to church more and open it and be in that practice of it. Yes, we have it in our Bible, our phones and our iPads and on the screen, but be, practice being in it. For some of you, you're like, hey, I'm just going to pick my, a book of the Bible. I'm going to start with the gospel. I encourage you to start with the gospel uh, of John, right? So I wanted to do something, just kind of entice you to do that. If you're doing that this week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to email me at nathan.rsec at gmail.com. And I'm going to give you a, a Bible, a new Bible, right? I'll pick one random winner. It's called the, the, the Filament Bible. And it's a, it's a sweet Bible. It comes in the NLT translation or King James, so you can tell me what translation you want. And, and you open it. It looks like a normal Bible. But then you can take your phone and you scan over the page and all of a sudden you have commentaries at your hand. All of a sudden you have, picture, you have videos on what the scriptures are talking about. And I want to give that, of that Bible away. So if you email me, nathan.rsec at gmail.com, just tell me what plan you're doing and just telling me or what book of the Bible you're reading. I would love to give that Bible out to one of us. But also, I want to, I want to end with a method of how to read Scripture. And this method isn't new to me. It's called the SOAP method. Right? It's, I, I didn't come up with this, but SOAP, right? You can see SOAP right here. So it starts with Scripture. Find a plan. Go, go to the Bible app on, the, on your smartphones. Type in a topic. Type in a book that you want to read from. But find Scripture. Find something, go, go to the Gospel of John, go to the book of Acts, and you start reading it. And as you're reading it, you look for observation. Uh, you start observing it. Are there any words that stand out? 
Are there any phrases that stand out? Is there anything that's repeated? Is there a but? Is there a therefore? And when you, there's a therefore, you got to find out what is the therefore therefore, right? So you start observing it. You start reading it. And sometimes to observe it, you read it more than once. Maybe read it. For me, when I, before I ever start preaching on a text, I read it over seven to ten times over and over again before I start doing anything. So I can, I can observe it. And then after you observe it, you read it, you observe it, you, you start saying, okay, how does this apply to me? What is God trying to say to me? What is God trying to say to this word? Where, where does this live out in my life? And it's not what you make it, but what is God actually trying to do and how can I live out what I just read? And then the last thing you do is you pray over it. God, please you know, make these words come to life to me. Speak to me through this word. God, help me understand what's going on. So, so you, you read it, you observe it, you apply it, and you pray over it. Soap. You start doing this every time you read verses. 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, every day. Start doing this. You'll start to love it. You'll start to learn it. And when you start to love it, you'll start to learn it. You'll start to see God's love for you. You'll learn about God's love for you. You'll start to see how God's working in your life, working in, in this world, working in culture. You'll start to see and learn more about God. And the Bible, and we're going to end with this kind of phrase, the Bible is a book like no other book. And a book that changes everything. It was given to us to love it and to learn it and to draw us into a relationship with a God who loves us. And you start reading it and you start letting it cut you at the soul. You'll be, like, you'll be on the journey I've been on for the last 15 years. You start to lo learn about the love of God. You start to see why sin is so separates us. You'll start to see God's plan for the world. You start to become a better spouse, a better person. You start to love more, forgive more, become more gracious. It changes everything. I want to end with what the Gospel of John wrote. I love the Gospels. I love the Gospel of John specifically, but at the end of John's Gospel, he writes this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life. These were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing that, you may have life. That's the point of this. The point us, and the worship team can come up, the point us to the Savior of the world, the Messiah of the world, Jesus. By believing in him, believing in these words, you may have life. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for your word. God, and I, I pray that we learn to love it and we learn it and we know it and we meditate on it. And we allow you to work in our lives through the word. God, that it doesn't just become this habit, but it becomes this, this something that we're excited to do, something to, to know you better. God, so I, I pray today as we continue to praise you and, and just worship you for, for all you do in our lives, most of all for the gift of Jesus that you give us this word so we, we can have life in you, not just life in this earth, but eternal life. God, so I, I pray that we stand today and we continue worshiping the King of Kings who deserves all praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. 
Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.